and welcome to The Juice and the Squeeze, a zesty podcast by two academics about where, how, and why we focus our efforts. I'm Julia Strand, here with my co-host, Jonathan Peel. Thanks for joining us. Hey, Julia. How are you today? Great, thanks. How are you? Oh, I'm good. You know, this is our third podcast, and uh, we've been around so long that I have some follow-up to talk about from our earlier shows. Mm, Great. Uh, Also known as F.U., and I never knew when people would yell at me in the street that they just wanted to have some follow-up together. It's such a, it was such a good revelation to have. Uh, so the first thing I wanted to tell you was that um, I am now entirely hooked on Orphan Black. I've been binge-watching it since our last discussion. And, uh, and so I like it a lot. And I, I, you know, it's an interesting premise and all that. And I can totally see how confusing it would be if you didn't realize that everyone was a clone. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I, so I, I have a lot of sympathy for you in your um, in your watching of it. Oh, well, I appreciate that. Can you can you tell that it's all the same actress? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I can. Okay. Yeah. But well, but but yeah, I mean, they do a good job sort of making her look different. But I think I I think I picked up on that sooner. Although since we had talked, I also had a hint. I had a big right. hint ahead yeah, yeah. of time that that was what I was looking for. Yeah. Anyway, so thanks for that recommendation. My pleasure. If if you need another one, there's a there's an old Jean-Claude Van Damme movie called Double Impact in which uh Jean-Claude Van Damme plays twins and and it really gave me this like deep appreciation for the depth of his acting ability because they seem <laughs> so different. Uh-huh. But really it's just like one's hair is slightly different and one is wearing pink shorts instead of jeans, but I don't know. There it's enough different that uh that that it really seems like two different people. So Okay, I I know I have list. seen that, um, but I, <laughs> I should probably go back and watch it again. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask you, uh, what what do you listen to podcasts on? Ooh, are we allowed to buzz market right on the show? I think we are. Yeah, uh, I use Overcast. Oh, do you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's actually totally unplanned. Um, so do I. And I was going to uh, put out a plug for it because I found that a lot of people uh, don't know about it. Uh, mm. So Overcast is an app on the app store for apple uh it's developed by marco arment and um i don't know i've been using it for years and it has a lot of kind of nifty features that other podcast players don't have do you have um do you have a favorite thing that it does for you um i really like it how um it it can speed up podcasts you know if people are talking more slowly if you'd like the information a little more quickly but it uses a very clever clever algorithm to do it um a lot of the speeding up um software that people use you know, as somebody who thinks a lot about speech, it just sounds really terrible to me. But it does this like it pulls out silence rather than just compressing things. Um, and so it can make it speech be faster without sounding terrible. That's yeah, what I like. I like that a lot, too. It's um, also very pretty. It is very pretty and kind of minimal mm-hmm. but functional mm-hmm. interface. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing it does that um, I don't use a lot but I really like is if you're listening to a podcast and there's something you want to share like on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or whatever, you can sort of like um, share a clip of a podcast. It will encode the audio and you can like upload it right to Twitter. So if there's like a little discussion you like or a little quote, you can sort of share right from within the app, which is cool. Um, It's something I want to try to use a little bit more. Cool. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Anyway. And it also um, has support for chapters. So um, if a podcast goes in and kind of labels different time points, you can sort of see those chapters in the app. 
Uh, anyway, so if you're not using Overcast um, and you're looking for a podcast player, check it out. It's free with like very tiny, unobtrusive ads, which don't bother me, but also it's like $10. If you pay for it, you can get rid of the ads and kind of support the development. The other thing I wanted to mention is we have not gotten any uh, letters yet. Um, so all of you listening, we're really happy to hear from you. If you go to our website, juiceandsqueeze.net and click on contact, send us an email and uh, let us know something you want us to talk about. Alternatively, we could frame it as the portal for sending us mail is open and I know there's going to be a lot of demand for it. So get yours in quick while you can. Right. Actually, right, when, right, I, when right. I said we don't have any emails yet, I meant <laughs> we've got lots and lots of email because we're so popular. Um, but I'm just encouraging more email. Good. Uh, Good. I like right. That. Exactly. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll cut all that out later. <laughs> um, but I did want to bring up something that um, it comes up every once in a while on uh, Twitter, the people and, and in real life, people talking about, which is, you know, as an academic, should you have a website and what should you put on it? And mm. at what point in your career should you have one? Um, so I have, I have a few thoughts about this, but, but Julia, I, when did you get your first like academic website? Uh, as a faculty member, I, I didn't have one in grad school or as a postdoc. So it was in, in my current position when, uh, you know, when I like at new faculty orientation or like at some point early on, they said, oh, by the way, you now have a website. You can populate it with whatever you want. So was it wasn't that... until someone kind of made the opportunity very, very easy for me. Did I okay. actually do it? Did it feel like forced upon you or did you like, was it something you wanted to do, but kind of never got around to to doing? Yeah, exactly. No, it was something that um, that I had thought about and knew I kind of should, especially like when I was on the job market, um, but just had never really gotten to or done the research on, how, you know, how to do it. Um, yeah, but I wasn't I wasn't like deliberately avoiding it. Mm -hmm. I, I'm sort of like the opposite end of the continuum, probably. So I had one. <laughs> Um, so as I mentioned before, I used to do like a little bit of HTML coding and I got just like interested in web stuff for a while. Uh, and so at pretty early on in my graduate school career, you know, we all had like a free, you know, website that was sort of on some old server. You had to edit it by hand. Uh, and so I had one there that had not much on it, but I sort of, I sort of enjoyed it. Um, and I just, you know, I don't know. I, I enjoyed like typing my name into Google and having that page come up, <laughs> uh, which I thought was cool. Um, but the, but the useful thing subsequently to that, I eventually sort of got my own domain, jonathanpeel.net. Uh, and that was like strategic because as a, in the sense that moving around from institution to institution, you know, you can often get a free website, but then it changes every couple of years. And like Google will eventually find you, but it takes a while. And so you mm -hmm. sort of like lose the the search ranking, not that I'm out for rankings, but like it's harder to find you if you keep moving around, right? So if you have mm -hmm. one website, people go there, it has your current information, it's easy to find. So I, I eventually kind of, I'm paid for a domain name just to have like a single place that wouldn't change as I kept, you know, getting different postdocs and faculty jobs and so on. Um, and the other nice thing was that this was around the time that, you know, there were more options for um, non-hand-coded websites like WordPress mm -hmm. or Squarespace is what I use or whatever. And so I was able to sort of, you know, configure it the way I wanted to and not be um, kind of constrained by like what the particular university had available or like, sure. you know, you must have this color and this logo and you can't say this and you have to have a million university links or whatever. So I, I've sort of appreciated um, 
having the having the freedom. So now I have like too many websites because I also have the one that they make me have at work, and then I have like my own. Um, but I think it's useful. So, so all of which is to say, I encourage people to have them early. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the reason is that, like, as an editor, um, someone might recommend a reviewer to me. Let's say it's a postdoc, like an early career person that I, I have not come across. I might type their name into Google to see, like, oh, I wonder what this person studies. I wonder if they're a good fit for this paper. And if I literally can't find anything, then um, that makes it harder for me to kind of pursue or like I might not invite them because I I don't know anything about them. Uh, This also happens when you organize conferences. You're looking for people who talk about a certain topic. There's word of mouth, but you also Google people. Again, someone mentions so-and-so and and I go to look them up. And if I can't find them, uh, you know, it just makes it hard to get included. So I think, uh, you know, if someone's looking for you, um, they should be able to find you. And they should also uh, be able to find out things that you want them to know. So you you have the chance to like, how would you describe your research to a total stranger? Like put a paragraph on there, or put your papers on there. Or if you don't have papers up there, put up the things that you're currently working on. So I, I really um, don't think it has to be anything complete, but just having something that you're in control of uh, is a big advantage. And if you have uh, like a really common name, the more things on there that sort of differentiate you, the, the better. People are going to find you instead of someone else with a, with a similar name. So, yeah. So I would encourage everyone to start. There's lots of free alternatives out there. And then um, if you're willing to pay a little bit of money, you can get fancier and have your own domain name that isn't going to change and, and things like that. Yep, I agree. And I think starting, starting you know, as a grad student or as early as possible is, uh, is a great move. So... Uh, this is uh, we're on a roll now. We have a we have a topic for today, Julia. What is it? Mm-hmm. Well, rather than telling you right away, I want to tell you a little story. So there's this lumberjack, and he's got a new contract. He has to cut down a thousand trees, and so the first day he goes out and he cuts down like a hundred trees, and he feels really good about it. And the next day he's about to head out, and his buddy says, "Hey, aren't you going to sharpen your saw before you go back out to cut down more trees?" And he said. I don't have time to sharpen my saw. I've got all these trees to cut down. So he heads out again. And this time, he only cuts down 80 trees. He's starting to feel a little bad because, you know, he's got to keep up the pace. And the next day, he goes out and his buddy says, you going to sharpen your saw? And he says, I don't have time for that. Okay, you see where the story is going. Mm-hmm. So it's a parable about the importance of taking breaks. And I... Uh, I Grew up in northern Minnesota, uh, in which is a, a area that where logging is a big industry, and uh, my mom used to like tell this story, and and I thought it was uh, like something that she had invented, maybe, or was just part of like you know logging community culture. Um, and my mom is very wise. Hi, mom. <laughs> uh, and and so you know, I I always really like this story. Turns out I just Googled it to see like what the original uh, the original origin is. And turns out it's a, a Stephen Covey, like seven habits of highly effective people, okay. uh, uh-huh. which which um, common reading among lumberjacks, I think. Yeah. I, right, yeah. Right. Um, but I didn't know that when I first came to like it. So we, okay, we so can, we like can um, incorrectly attribute it to your mom. I'm fine with that. Here, we'll just we'll just edit Wikipedia real quick, and like Perfect. Julia's mom came up with this, and then Stephen Covey came came across it later. I'm sure. 
Um, so what we thought we would talk about today is uh, the importance of, of taking breaks uh, or maybe questioning, is it important to take breaks? Um, and and how do we um, make time for, for doing nothing or justify it to ourselves? Um, and what are the ways that we kind of, that Jonathan and I implement that? So Jonathan, I assume you work all of the hours all the time. Is that correct? <laughs> well... It feels like it sometimes. Uh, <laughs> you know, actually, this is I, I really like this topic because um, it's something I do struggle with a lot. Um, at the same time, I also think it's really important. So that I have this sort of cognitive dissonance of like being really supportive of this and acknowledging that it's a good thing to do. And then it's also something that I really, I really struggle to do. How about you? Yeah. So it's something that um, that I have come to embrace more recently than I than I did kind of earlier in my career. Um, early on, I heard, like, I would hear people talking about, like, taking breaks and having me time. And I guess that early on, people weren't using the term self-care, but, you know, doing, doing those kinds of activities. Um, and in the back of my mind, I kind of thought, like, that's for the weak. Those of us who are <laughs> strong just power through and work right. all the time. Um, and then at some point... Um, and I don't, I don't, this, this wasn't one of these like lightning striking. I had this like flash of insight. Um, I realized that, that taking time off actually makes you better at working, mm-hmm. uh, that it, that it isn't like that the time off isn't for the week. It like actually lets you work harder. Um, and, and I, I really believe that. And since I have, you know, come to like really believe that, uh, I, I do it more and I feel much better about about doing it because I, I don't see it as like taking time off. I see it as like fueling up so I can so I can keep working. I mean, one one thing that I think is interesting about this whole idea is there are kind of different timescales at which you can take a break. Mm-hmm. Right. So you could you know, you could imagine like during the year, it might be really helpful to take take a month off for example, in the summertime or during the week, it might be important to take a day off or during a day, it's important to take, you know, some amount of time for yourself. Which of those timescales did you start at or which do you think you're most intentional about? Yeah. So I think I'm probably the most intentional about like chunks of small time, like during the day, Mm -hmm. right? Like I have a lot to do, but I'm going to go and, you know, have lunch with a friend for an hour, even though I could be working because, I could use a break to not talk about work or something like that. Um, I'm also pretty deliberate about like, sure, there's more work I could do at night when my kids are, you know, after I put my kids to bed. Um, but this would be really a great time to go and catch up with a friend or go mm-hmm. for a run or mm-hmm. sit down and watch a movie that I want to watch. Um, and I think especially like as academics, there's always work that you could be doing. Right. There's always something else that you could do. That's like the pernicious thing is you're never done. I'm sure. And I'm sure that's true of other jobs, too. But Mm -hmm. but it really I mean, everyone I talk to, you know, is very aware of that. And I feel like I'm always super aware of that, too. Mm -hmm. Um, And frequently uh, it's all good stuff or at least Mm -hmm. you are worthwhile in some way. Right. I mean, it's not um, especially the things that I feel obliged to do in the evening, for example, it's not like fill out a reimbursement form or something. It's like, that's, there's a, there's a science thing I want to do or a paper I mm-hmm. want to work on or a thing that I'm excited about and, and probably will benefit me in some way. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't feel like, it never feels like there's junk stuff I'm doing. It's like all quote unquote worthwhile. Mm-hmm. 
and it's always there and there's always more of it. And you, you know, there's this like, um, I think I have a fantasy that at some point I can sort of be on top of it or like, I'll get all the most important stuff done. Mm -hmm. uh, and of course I, I, and I know that that's, you know, ridiculous, but it's still like part of me feels like that's a possibility, right? Like just yeah. over this crest of the hill, I'll be on top of the mountain and I'll clear off my schedule. Yeah. Th that never happened. I mean, that's never happened to me right. where I've just been like, look, I'm done. I think now it happened like in it. the first year of graduate school. I, I do remember what I literally remember a, a specific day where it was like 4 p.m. And I'm like, I've got nothing else to do. I'm going to go home. <sighs> and I remember my office mate who was like a few years ahead of me didn't say anything but just gave me a look i think i said it out loud and then went back to doing to doing what she was doing and, and she wasn't mean about it but i just you know i don't know it kind of struck That's me and now years later I look, exactly that was the, the the first and the last time one of the pieces of advice i got um when i was starting my tenure track position at carlton is it, it was you know part of like new faculty orientation we were hearing from like people who had been here a couple years longer were you know what did we what do they wish that they had knew when they started um and one of the pieces of advice um was the the presenter said figure out the time that you need to be a happy person so like having hobbies maintaining your relationships you know doing the things that make you happy and set aside the time that you need for that and then work all the rest of the time mm -hmm. but it wasn't like set up your work schedule and then try to slot in the things that make you a happy person. You know, it was like, figure out what you need to be happy, figure out what that time is. And then, and then, you know, fit work in around that. Um, and the argument was in six years, you're going to have tenure or not, but you don't want to earn tenure at the price of messing up your relationships and, you know, being unhappy and, you know, not feeling good about, about how you've spent that time. Mm -hmm. And I really think about that often. I mean, that's one of the things that kind of, um, helps uh helps motivate and inspire me when i'm like ooh, should i work on this or am i allowed to do something that's just for me it's like you know we can be very focused on our careers and trying to do a good job at them but we also need to build lives that we enjoy mm -hmm. i totally agree there was a i might be misremembering uh, the book that this came from but i'm pretty sure it's from the now habit uh, which i'll put a link in the show notes um, to this book, which I read in graduate school, probably like as I was coming out of this, you know, blissful um, fantasy that I could actually do everything, I was realizing I had to be strategic about my time. And and in my memory of this uh, is that it talks a lot about kind of time budgeting, and mm -hmm. starting off by you know you put in what what you don't do is you first put in all the stuff you have to do for work, and then fit in around yeah you know, I, I got to put sleep in somewhere. Mm -hmm. But you do the other thing, which is what you said, which is you sort of like, look, I need X amount of hours of sleep per night. And I'm, I got to eat, eat some meals and, and see family or friends. And you kind of put in the structure of your life first. And then you go back and you're like, OK, I've got such and such left. How do I use that effectively? Mm -hmm. And I think it, it, it really it did open me up to being more intentional about using my time and kind of planning a little more from like maybe a top down way. Mm -hmm. So there's like the putting out fire way, which is like, you know, act, I have too much to do. I just got to work, work, work until I'm exhausted to try to do it all. And that never works. Or feeling overwhelmed so you can't even do anything. Uh, you mm -hmm. kind of procrastinate. You can't even start because it's so overwhelming. And this is sort of um, encouraging you to be strategic and to plan time in chunks, 20 or 30 minute chunks that you sort of, you know, can feel like you're accomplishing things in manageable chunks. Mm -hmm. uh, and so actually, I've been meaning to go back and sort of redo a, a, a thoughtful schedule 
uh, now because my life now looks a lot different than it did in graduate school. But um, Mm -hmm. I think that would be a useful kind of exercise. And probably, um, you know, if you start with the things that keep you a healthy and happy person, you know, that stuff takes more time than we'd like, I think, or at least for me, it does. Um, And so if you don't put it in first, I mean, it's probably not going to happen. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I think being intentional is 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 a nice point. There also ends up being this kind of like, oh, you know, all the terrible, toxic things that you see about people saying, if you want to get ahead in this business, you better be working at least 60 hours a week or, (laughs) you know, those those awful things. Yeah. Um, And when I see those, like my initial reaction is not, wow, look at how hard those people are working. It's there is no way you are working efficiently for 60 hours a right, week. Right, Like if, you know, like if you count up all the hours you're sitting at your computer, sure, maybe it adds up to 60, but you, there's no way you're working efficiently. You know, maybe there are some people who can efficiently work 60 hours a week. Right, like two. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. right. Um, yeah. But but I don't think that, you know, more isn't necessarily better. Right. And so trying to be intentional about I'm setting aside this block of time, and this is a block of time that I'm going to work really hard on this task. Um, at least works much better for me than just you know hitting my head against at it for hours and hours when I haven't slept enough and I haven't worked out that day, and you know all the right. other things that kind of keep me efficient. Right. I mean, I think there are um, right. I think we've kind of touched on them, but I'm just going to summarize. I mean, there's two prongs to this, right? And so I think one, which I think is also in, important is that even if you were more productive working 60 hours or a week or whatever ridiculous amount, like that will not necessarily make you a happier person. It probably mm-hmm. won't. Um, and, and it may well not increase your chances of getting a job. I mean, there, at some point, um, there are a lot of factors that are not how hard you work. So I, I think it's kind of a, a false hope that you can like outwork your way to whatever your goal is in life. You know, you're going to work mm-hmm. harder than everyone else and you're going to beat them. Um, I don't think it usually works that way. Uh, but then the other part of it is like, probably you're not actually being that productive for that time. Mm-hmm. And so that's your point that actually taking breaks and, or, you know, being a little more intentional or strategic or balanced, like probably will actually be more productive. Yeah. So I think both of those are true. It's like, it's like a double whammy. Like y- y- you're going to be more productive by taking breaks, but even if you weren't, that doesn't mean that that doesn't negate the benefit of doing it. Yep. Yep. Nice, nicely summarized. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, th- there's also, I think, a point to be made here about being strategic. So we're talking about like being strategic with work time. But I think there's also something to be said about being strategic with relaxing time. Uh-huh. Um, I often, you know, have conversations with students about issues similar to this where they say things like, oh, well, uh you know, I took some time off, but I just spent it worrying about all of the things that I had to do. It's like, oh, well, that's not, that's not, it doesn't quite count as, you know, actually having this relaxing, rejuvenating time. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's a great line from one of my favorite uh, poets and lyricists, um, David Berman, who just passed away this year. Uh, but he said, and uh, he wrote in a poem, I was in high school when I realized that not doing anything was categorically different from deciding to do nothing. Mm-hmm. And this is a line that really, really sticks with me, that not doing anything is different from deciding to do nothing. Um, and, I, and I often think about this when I'm like, you know, d- deciding, is this my time when I decide to do nothing, when I just sit down and chill out and read a book or watch a movie? Um, and that making a decision to say, this is my time to relax and I have earned this and I deserve this and I'm going to enjoy this is very different from just like, you know, kind of 
puttering around and not getting to work on time because I'm cleaning out a drawer absentmindedly or something, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, that I, I think it's, um, at least for me, really useful to set aside dedicated time where I say, this, like, I'm I'm looking forward to having this relaxing time and now I'm going to take it and really appreciate it. And that works better for me to have that kind of like rejuvenating uh, uh, feeling than just not doing anything. Right. There's a difference between sort of, I'm not going to do work right now or being kind of positively drawn towards an activity mm-hmm. you want to do. And maybe that's like, look at the ceiling and, you know, I mean, it doesn't have to be anything particular, but that you're kind of thoughtful about what that is and that it is mm-hmm. something you want to do and that is, you know, hopefully restorative in some way. Mm-hmm. I, I also, going back to the, the question about time scales, um, I have found, and I know that I'm not unique in this, uh, that when you are working really hard and you get stuck on something, this often happens to me um, when I'm coding or when I'm writing uh, and I just feel like I've hit a wall, I can continue to just keep hitting that wall over and over again. But it's just incredible how if you take a walk around campus and take some deep breaths and look at the trees blowing in the breeze... I often have insights about how to fix whatever problem I'm working on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a really nice kind of concrete example that you can give to people of, you know, how when you get stuck and then you take a shower, you figure it out in the shower or something like that mm-hmm. um, as, as, a way of, as a way of showing that, like, these breaks that you take really pay off. I guess I don't really like thinking about it as like a paying in, paying out, you know, kind of system, but, um, but, but that they're worthwhile. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. Or even, um, I mean, or like coming back the next day, right? Like, it's like rather than trying to, just fight your way through it. Just yep. be a, take a break, come back to it. And a lot of time, I mean, yeah, I can't tell you the number of like very stupid, obvious programming mistakes that I've just, you know, at the end of the day, I'm totally blind to. And I come back the next morning and it's like five minutes later, yeah. I've worked it out. Yeah. Yeah. What about, so mostly we've been talking about like pretty short time scales. How are you about saying, you know, you're going to take off bigger chunks of time? Is that something that you do? You aspire to do? Aspire to do for sure. Um, Mm -hmm. And actually, so, I mean, this all, this all ties in too, right? With like how connected we can be if we want Mm. to be all the time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so, and you know, it was quite a lot on my phone. I, I I have been trying to be intentional about not having work email on my phone, Mm -hmm. uh, which actually I really like. I mean, you know, you can always get to it somehow, but I sort of don't have it by default and that helps, but I've got other stuff that we use in the lab and Slack and Basecamp and um, worky things on the phone. And so it's very easy to like be connected. And so, so we do take trips, you know, especially in the summer and it's great to get away and to not be physically at work. But then I also struggle with like mentally disengaging. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, this summer we were up in Maine and we had, there was no internet at the house and um also like very poor cell reception, like to the point that it was almost unusable, mm-hmm. uh, which on the one hand was very frustrating, but it was also great because it just took away that temptation. You know, it was just, I just had to kind of get over it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so on the one hand, I felt like I came back and there was a pile of things that hadn't been dealt with. And that, and that's part of the struggles. I kind of stressed out about that, mm-hmm. but like during the time that we were kind of not connected it was great and i definitely felt like a weight lift from my shoulders so i think yeah my goal is like is to travel places where there's literally no connection to the rest of the world <laughs> and kind of like have a forced um, a forced retreat that way and yeah. obviously people with like 
who are more strategic or have stronger willpower or whatever, I don't have to be extreme. But um, yeah, for me, I think that's actually pretty helpful. Mm-hmm. I also feel a, a real sense of relief uh, just by like putting a vacation message on on my email, you know, so it like gets bounced back to people saying, mm-hmm. I'm not responding because that way I like the rest. I'm like, oh, do they think I'm going to respond? And am I taking too long? And that that helps me do better, too, if when I'm you know going to be away for long stretches. Yeah, I used to not do that for like short trips. But mm-hmm. but lately I've been doing that for short trips and, and also partly to give myself permission to not feel like I have to keep up with everything. And honestly, I mean, email is probably a topic for a different time, but it's mm-hmm. a relatively small proportion of things that would actually be emergencies. And also, like, there are people in my lab who can know how to contact me. Or can, people can call me or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so really, it's not a huge it's not a huge deal, but it feels yeah, yeah. I, like you, you know, know that it feels like I'm going to but... miss the one you know email from my department chair from NIH or whatever that like seems really urgent, although it's not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My first good experience with this, I would say, like during a parental leave for our daughter, you know, I took time off and I felt like morally very justified in ignoring my email during a paternity leave. And so Mm -hmm. um, that was like like a month and a half or whatever I was able to do um, where I really didn't check my email and it was amazing. And so then I, then I came back to work, but I thought, you know what, I should do that more often. Um, Mm -hmm. And a lot of, a lot of problems go away. I mean, requests to review manuscripts, like I'm, I'm sorry to the editor that I didn't click the decline button but you know what? They they went on with their life and it was fine. I didn't have to like read that email. So here's a question. Um, I know that n- neither of us buys into the culture of to be successful, you have to work all of the hours. Um, how do we convey this to um, to, to students and colleagues um, that we support other people's decisions to also sharpen their saw and take time off? Yeah, that's a good question. And I also think I think, I mean, part of this, I think, is like respecting people enough to encourage them to make their own decisions mm-hmm. um, and kind of give them the agency or the freedom to do that. So one thing that I have tried to do, uh, and if anyone from my lab is listening, you you know, tell me how well I'm doing this. I know that's awkward <laughs> and you probably won't, but you can tell me. Um, so a few years ago when I was starting my lab, I had a, I put together a lab manual, which I'll share a link to that in show notes. It's on GitHub, by the way. Julia, where can people find notes for this episode of our podcast? On our website, juiceandsqueeze.net slash three. That's right. Juiceandsqueeze.net slash three. That was a test to make sure. I always have to check and make sure Julia remembers what the website is. So It's like you asked me to do mental math. I just froze up there. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, okay. So a couple of things in the lab manual, I try to kind of encourage this. And so one thing I put in there was realize there are times for pulling all-nighters and times for leaving early to go to the park and enjoy the sunshine. And now my intent there is not to actually make people pull all-nighters, but to sort of recognize that there are um, seasons in life and in the career. And, you know, if you've got an abstract due the next day and you want to do a good job, like maybe you should stay late. And I think that's okay. But also like there are a lot of times when you should just leave work early and go do something fun or go, yeah, take care of yourself outside the lab. And so I think trying to be explicit about that in writing, my goal about putting that in writing is to make that like an official lab policy Mm -hmm. and not like everyone has to figure out what the lab policy is about this, Um, but to really just be open and give everyone the same information. And 
I think also then, hopefully I also lead by example, at least a little bit in that, you know, I'm not in the lab 830 to five Monday through Friday. You know, I've got things in my life that come up and, um, you know, these days, a lot of that is like, you know, picking up and dropping off our daughter or like doctor's appointments and stuff like that. But like, that's okay. That's part of life. We don't have to pretend that we don't have a life. So, so hopefully, hopefully I've been trying to be encouraging that way, but I think it is, it is challenging. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I have um, at various points been more and less willing to kind of share, you know, when I am taking time off and the ways in which I take time off. Um, I think in part because, you know, it's kind of scary to go against the culture of successful people work all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you don't don't want to flag yourself as like someone who doesn't take their work seriously or, you know, isn't trying their hardest because they take time off. Um, but but I have been trying to be more um, more transparent about that, you know, um, to my colleagues, to my students. And, you know, when I take breaks, you know, I don't I don't conceal that. And I say, oh, I'm going on a trip and I'm not even bringing my computer and it was great to not think about work for a week and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, to be, to be open and honest about those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's, that's really good. Something that I um, struggle with, I, I get, you know, all the, these are all our private conversations that so just between us, right, Julia. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. um, something I struggle with in the transparency realm is like, there are times when I'm up at midnight, like responding to emails or working on lab stuff and, mm-hmm. Those are times I'm not like necessarily proud of that. And I'm not trying to set that as an example, but that's literally the time I have to do it or or feel like that's when I have to do it. And so, you know, on the one hand, I want to be like open about my own schedule and, and, and the flexibility and that I don't have to be working all the time. But then I also, I do feel self-conscious about, about people seeing me work odd hours or whatever, because that's not the expectation I want to have for the mm-hmm. lab. It's, it's the, I, I try to have it more of a culture of freedom. And like one of the great things about this career is frequently you, you do have some flexibility in your schedule and like that, that should be, I can send an email at midnight and that's okay, but I'm not trying to, to set that as an example. So I think people get that, but I do sometimes feel like I should be less honest about less transparent about some parts of it just for fear of, <laughs> you know, setting a setting a standard that is not one I want to set. Yeah, I got an email from somebody a while back um, and in their signature, it said, I sometimes send emails at odd hours of the night. Know that I don't expect you to respond. At, you know, it was like, yeah. this is the time that it works for me. I'm not ex- expecting that it's the time that works for you or something. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was interesting to just like very explicitly flag, hey, just because I'm emailing midnight doesn't mean I think you should be working then too. Yeah. And I, and, and I guess I do have that in the lab manual too, that sort of like, just because I do that, I don't expect you to do that. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I think it's great to have that in writing. Mm-hmm. I have to make sure people actually read the lab manual, right? So hey, if you're <laughs> in my lab, go read the manual so you, you get all this stuff. Um, yeah. I mean, the other thing is, so we use uh, Basecamp and in, in our lab for organizing projects and things that's kind of kind of like Slack, but has a little more project to-do list and whatever. But Slack does this too. Lots of people use Slack. And I think, honestly, managing notifications is also a really good habit to get into because, you know, you can just kind of set yourself to not be available between certain hours. And mm-hmm. I think that's okay. And so it's kind of like um, this idea of asynchronous communication that I'm going to send you a thing when it's convenient for me and you should mm-hmm. respond when it's convenient for you, not as soon as possible. Um, mm-hmm. But when you're when it fits into your day or your workflow. Um, and so I think, yeah, probably being a little bit um, explicit about that, especially as a 
you know, a PI, um, but sort of setting that expectation about when it's convenient for you within reason mm -hmm. uh, is really helpful and not, I mean, I guess it never really works to be like, I need a response as soon as possible all the time. Mm -hmm. I just don't think that's, you know, that's not healthy for anyone really. Yeah. Um, I will often tell um, tell my students that, uh, you know, I'm a compulsive email checker and I look at Slack all the time, but I typically am not going to respond to anything between about 4.30 and 7.30 because that is, you know, prime time with my kiddos mm -hmm. and, you know, I want to be giving them giving them all of my attention. Mm -hmm. um, and probably we have a whole episode coming at some point about parenting and, mm -hmm. you know, I think so. work family balance. But but that's really one of the ways that, you know, I feel um, one of the ways that I both signal, you know, the importance of my family and that I think it's important to make time for those things. Um, it's, it's one of the ways that I signal that to students by saying, like, this is my this is my special time with my babies mm -hmm. and you have me most of the rest of the hours. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. I, I totally agree. And I think. Right. And that obviously not everyone is going to have kids, but but it's sort of like here's an example in my life of a thing yep. that isn't work that I'm prioritizing and that is, you know, 100% okay. And so go and do likewise. Mm -hmm. So there's a great story. Um, it's not a story. It's true about uh, Don Knuth, who is a, a famous computer programmer. And um, he's at Stanford. And he's he's been around for quite a long time. And my memory of this is he just never checks his email and has a secretary that prints out important mail. <laughs> so, uh, and so I'll, I'll post a link to this in the show notes. And so, you know, he sort of basically unapologetically says a little apologetically says, yeah, I'm sorry, I can't respond to everything, but I don't have time. And that's not my primary job, although I would like to be responsive. So what he does is he tries to encourage people to send him snail mail instead of email. Mm -hmm. And, um, and his secretary will sort out his mail to things that, you know, she thinks he's going to look at and, and not. And then, you know, every so often, like once a month or whatever, He'll go through as many as he can get through and sort of take care of it. Um, and then he has a big, you know, warning on his website, do not answer unsolicited emails, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm, I'm going to guess that he like just doesn't look at them or whatever. Um, and so on the, I mean, I'm so jealous of that. Yeah. I think that's a technique that most people couldn't get away with. Yeah, I do. It's like a, it, it is a special kind of privilege, I think. Right. I mean, when, when you're that well known, you don't, he does not have to worry about his career right. uh, at this point. And so, yeah, so it, it obviously it doesn't work for the rest of us, but the idea that you don't have to be a slave to that. I mean, these days, a lot of it's email, but maybe in 10 years, it'll be something else, but just the sort of like externally driven schedule. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So another thing we should just um, point out, we'll put a link to, there was um, an article in the New York times a while ago uh, about this. And it was, it's titled, uh, you are doing something important when you aren't doing anything. Um, and I thought this was, this sort of also got me thinking about this whole topic. And one thing I liked is that the author um, said that she really has to be like very intentional about this, that this is not a natural state for her and that sort of making time um, to lie fallow, as she says, is like an act of resistance against the kind of culture around mm -hmm. us. And actually, I like that because mm -hmm. I, I mean, I think, well, I've always felt that it's very difficult. And then part of me thinks, oh, there's something wrong with me. Like I can't, you know, who I'm a grown up and I can't 
like turn off my email, I feel, you know, I feel kind of self-conscious about that. But I think viewing it as more that this is a problem for, you know, everyone or at least most people and that we really have to be active about creating a culture that we want that's maybe countercultural mm-hmm. um, is probably maybe a better way to think about it instead of, you know, feeling bad about myself that I can't do it. I like thinking about it that way. Join the resistance. Take time off. Right. Hey, maybe that should be a, a juice and squeeze uh, t-shirt. Ooh. So what do we have a, do we have a bottom line for people? Yeah. I think the bottom line is join the resistance. Sharpen your saw. I like it. <laughs> I like it. Let's do it. Okay. So um, maybe next time we'll come back and sort of check in on how we've done you know, between now and then about uh, taking some some time for ourselves. Yeah, I like it. Listeners, you too, in between this episode and the next. (laughs) And then send us an email and tell us what you did. Exactly. Actually, that would be, it would be great to have some feedback from people who are either um, struggling with this or like have strategies that have been helpful. That would, I would love to to read about that. Mm -hmm. Should also point out uh, before we say goodbye that if you like this episode or other episodes that we do, we'd love to have you support us on Patreon. If you go to patreon.com and type in the juice and the squeeze, you should find us. And by supporting us there, um, of course, you'll just be encouraging us to keep going if that's something you want us to do. Um, But you'll also get access to a couple of exclusive features. One is we'll add you to the juice and squeeze Slack workspace um, where you can kind of connect, connect with each other and also do uh, kind of ask me anything sessions with me and Julia, or I guess it's, if it's both of us, it'll be ask us anything. And actually, I, so m- maybe not everyone knows what that is. Do you want to just describe what an ask me anything session is, Julia? My understanding is that it's an opportunity where you can ask someone anything. <laughs> the, there's a hint in the name of it. Um, I, I became familiar with these on Reddit. So um, Reddit was doing these for a while. I think they still do them. And so you know, people can submit questions to people who will answer them. That sounds very boring. So Ken Jennings, right, who had the huge run of winning Jeopardy shows, for example, has an Ask Me Anything on Reddit where he just, you know, shares his experiences on, on the show and sort of in life. And it's kind of a fun way to get to know people. And so um, Julie and I are going to post some of those on Slack. And we're also going to have some bonus audio content, either little shorts, outtakes, or eventually a couple full episodes that are only on Patreon. So um, if you have a moment and like the show, please head over there and support us. Um, But we're just glad you're listening one way or another. Thanks so much for joining us. Until next time. All right. Bye, everybody. 